0: On to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Aaron Fitzgerald to the show. Aaron Fitzgerald serves as Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action Organization, She is passionate about encouraging contagious collaboration to build the sustainable food systems of the 21st century. Erin previously worked in dairy, where she led a voluntary carbon goal, innovation projects, and sustainable supply chain framework. Erin has been recognized in Chicago's 40 Under 40, a White House Champion of Change for Sustainable and Climate Smart Agriculture, and an Aspen Institute First Movers Fellow. Erin, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here, Raj. Thank you so much.
0: Aaron, I am super excited to have you on. As I mentioned before, we started rolling the research I had to do for the show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And something you said in another interview is where I'd like to start. I would like to learn more about appreciative inquiry.
1: I'm a huge fan, oh Raj, uh, of appreciative inquiry. Um, Dr. David Cooper Ryder, um, in 2008, I, I got introduced to this, and it's about. Um, really asking a system or an organization to appreciate. And when you look at something to appreciate, you can improve the value of by truly looking and appreciating about what's working. And then inquiring is asking the right question of what is working. And if I were to appreciate that and create a strength-based approach versus a deficit-based approach, like why isn't this working? Um, It's just a different lens in um, lifting up and finding the sense of possibilities. And quite often in agriculture, I had always heard, well, the food system's broken and all this isn't working. But we say, well, what what is working? What is the sector and how could we lean into our strengths? Uh, It's a completely different question. And so appreciative inquiry is a way of um, making certain that the system is in the room, all different types of voices and leaders, and then really looking at what's the strengths of the system and, and working towards that.
0: So right now you're the CEO it's its mouthful, U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action. Can you give me an example of how you've used appreciative inquiry in the work that you do?
1: Yeah, well, um, so it, back in 2019, um, so U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action, I, I fundamentally believed we changed the name, so that was in action, that we believe it takes leaders in action. And uh, we looked at the food and ag sector and we thought, my gosh, we got to get the leaders all in the same room into a hot barn. Uh, so in 2019, this is before COVID, um, we brought together about 100 leaders uh, into a barn and we used appreciative inquiry, we made sure every single sector was represented, anyone who touches food and ag. And we started asking them to imagine the future. What does 2030 look like? What's working? And we used appreciative inquiry facilitation and over 18 visioning sessions, even through COVID. Um, and right when COVID was happening, we said, this is a, you know, a, a fire drill. We, the food system bent, but didn't break. Now's the time to lean in even more as leaders in action and um, get this vision released. So in September, 2000, Uh, We affirmed the vision after 18 working sessions. And then in 2021, um, this vision came to life, uh, which we're calling the Decade of Ag. And um, it's really about um, lifting up and finding the great things that uh, work in the sector and asking leaders to lean in and do more by 2030.
0: Now, you mentioned the Decade of Ag. Before we get there, I'd like to learn more about this idea of the next 30 harvests Mm.
1: well you know um we we hear a lot for other sectors i know you you're in the you're in the energy sector right Uh, we see the health sector we know by 2050 um we have to um, really reduce carbon emissions and we have more people coming to the planet but for agriculture um the level of innovation and scale isn't really well understood or talked about um So the next 30 years, that means that we have to produce as much food, fiber, and energy as we produce all of mankind up to this point. And that might seem like, okay, that's possible. I get the the innovation curve. But that means for a farmer, each growing season, each spring, when they go out into that field, that they have to get that much incrementally better and they get one chance to do so in the face of mother nature. And we are facing extreme and episodic events, eight out of the last 10 harvest seasons. You know, we're kind of facing uh, this experiment of growing and producing food in the face of climate change, in the face of one of the greatest challenges um, ever that our farmers are faced with. So I often say that it's not, this level of innovation and scale is truly not unlike going to the moon or traversing the ocean for the first time. It is a Clearing call to help our farmers in the next 30 harvests, 30 chances to be innovative, to have every resource possible, um, to be able to provide for food and also adapt to the changing climates uh, that, it, that is happening. And that's
0: real. Now, I don't want to cause worry for people listening to the show, but I'm just curious. You mentioned 2020 COVID, the farming system, it bent, it didn't break. But how tenuous is our farm system right now?
1: You know, we are very strong. I think that was one thing that was amazing um, that we saw in the food and ag sector. Everyone kind of leaned in and has a very much a commitment to make certain that there were food on the shelves. But you also see it's a very people-based system. 15% of the American workforce is tied to food and agriculture. So as you saw, um, of course, COVID really hit. It's a people-based system. And we had um, protocols in place luckily to food safety and i think we we moved very quickly to put more protocols in place as we learned more about the epidemic of course with covid um, as all businesses were but what became very apparent um for the first time is that the consuming public actually reconnected with their dinner plates in a very unique way um We've, everyone has always been taking uh, photos, you know, of their dinner plates. But those went <laughs> up. Those really went up during COVID. People were going back to recipes and then turning and asking, what can I do to help a restaurant worker? What can I help do to help that grocery store worker? What can I do to help a farmer? And so in in many respects, um, the consuming public got a chance to kind of come back to the dinner table on, on what really matters. And that's one of the things I, I like to talk about is, when we think about those 30 harvests is we have a responsibility as Americans to truly honor that harvest. Don't lose that. You know, um, that's, there is a lot of gratitude. You know, we have a whole holiday dedicated to honoring the harvest Thanksgiving. There's a lot that happens to get that food on our plate.
0: You know, you mentioned reconnecting with our dinner plates. You mentioned Thanksgiving. What can be done? Or what do you suggest can be done to help individuals, consumers, connect back to the farmers themselves?
1: Well, I think it's really simple. Um, So, you know, I I actually have this. It's a World War II poster. I'll give you an example of it. I'll send it to you, Raj, after. But I call it honoring the harvest. So the simple thing is, is what your grandma taught you, you know? So don't take too much, okay? So that's 10% of your food print. Really honor what's on your plate. Don't waste it. Don't throw it to this magical place called away. Where is away anyway? Um, And then make certain, that's to reduce your immediate food print, okay? Then you have to ask yourself, what am I doing? Food is the greatest impact in our communities. At our dinner tables where we witness economies, communities, there's one in six people who are food insecure. That went up during uh, COVID in particular. You can get on Feeding America and map the meal gap right away and find out hidden hunger in your neighborhood. That is how you extend your handprint in your community, and then continue to reduce your footprint, then you have to ask, where's this, how do I help my farmer, right? The farmer that of that 60% of the footprint or footprint of the impact, we have to take a bet that our farmers are actually on this carbon trajectory to reduce climate change. And they are. But in order to do that part, we need the, the consumers to don't take too much, don't waste it, eat healthy and diverse food, and really help your neighbor too. And then focus in on the other 60% of the food print. that's how the farmer can make a difference, right? They're doing really crazy stuff on <laughs> reducing carbon impacts. Um, so make certain you understand about what farming is today.
0: So what are the farmers doing to reduce carbon impact?
1: Well, uh, so much there. So I always like to say that the um, original machine to take carbon out of the air is a plant. So that's, let's go back to sixth grade biology. It's the <laughs> plant and soil. You know, Black carbon is is plants actually from thousands of years before that are emitted in the air. Gray carbon is when you take a water bottle and recycle it or put it in carpets so that keeps that carbon cycling, not virgin carbon in the air. And then green carbon, this is really coming from the sun through the power of photosynthesis and cycling, right? So our plants and soils can, and animals actually can suck down and store carbon. So currently we're, currently sequestering carbon in the atmosphere and that's like a savings bank underneath our feet for our, for our grandkids and kids. And then our farmers have already reduced their carbon footprint um, and so we're now about 8% not 8 to 10% of the U.S. total carbon footprint. Then the question is, can they go more? And in fact, we now know uh, that it's possible that um, the American farmer is on a trajectory to have its carbon footprint uh, by 2030. There's new estimates out that the, sci- that the science is showing, again, through the power of figuring out the, our soils. You know, We know more about Mars than we do mm-hmm. know uh, about our soils, um, that we really can do a lot more. Um, it could be that we're minus 4% carbon. And that's through all the stuff our farmers are already doing and through science that is currently emerging that could help them. Um, so, one of the things we'd like to say is if we can get more investment to support our farmers, more innovation in the sector, there's a lot more potential that we can do. And, you know, Raj, we were talking about that. There's these opportunities like brown gold. You know, manure is really um, amazing product. You know, it, it's got nitrogen and natural fertilizer. It can act as a fiber, it can create renewable energy. Uh, we're seeing Total innovation of I know you were you were telling me about your orange peel. You know, there's everything that is a byproduct can also be a co-product and a unique way to unleash the power of a bioeconomy. So when you think about agriculture, you want if you look around your house, you want to kick out anything that's fossil fuel derived and find an, a bio source for it. And the more we can do that in agriculture, the more we can enable a bioeconomy. Then we eliminate fossil fuels.
0: Now, going back to the decade of ag, can you give us a more in-depth explanation regarding that next 10 years?
1: Right. So um, the decade of ag is all about um, really creating a common vision or a North Star for the food and ag sector. Um, We have the Sustainable Development Goals, if you will, that's almost a Rosetta Stone for all leaders. Um, But we wanted to translate that into what can the food and ag sector stand for. So um, we now have about 150 CEOs who've endorsed it, and we're asking other organizations really to step up and really look at the vision, encourage anyone that's listening right now to take a look at that vision, and then really ask how their organization, all the work that they're doing can be can lean in to that um, decade of ag. It also asks for leaders to work together, you know. Um, in healthy competition. You know, um, every brand that's out there, every organization, they don't always have all the answers. And for this to really work, uh, we have to work um, collaboratively and towards a, a bigger mission. And that's really what the Decade of Ag is about.
0: And if someone wants to get involved in Decade of Ag, how do they go about doing it?
1: Yeah, you can get on uh, usfarmersandranchers.org. Uh, there's um, videos and uh, definitely information there to sign up. I'd love for uh, some new some new leaders in action to, to step up after listening.
0: And I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Thank now, you. you've been involved in, broadly speaking, the sustainability movement for, I think if my research shows me right, 15, 18 years, is that correct?
1: Yes, it's about 2007.
0: What prompted you to get involved in this movement?
1: Um, you know, it was kind of by like default. um, um I was really originally hired for strategy, and I just kept coming back for the dairy sector. Um, And I just kept, I had read a book called Green to Gold. We were talking about, Raj. And um, I really just felt that Andrew Winston, that new book, was a a model. And I I looked at agriculture, and I said, my gosh, we've got, again, that strength-based approach. We've got soil. That's an asset. We've got United States land, air, and water, green spaces. We've got amazing people who care about this um how could we make this a real opportunity to solve some of the greatest challenges that people are asking for so to basically take an issue and turn it into an opportunity and and uh, green to gold was one of my start uh starting books for that journey and um appreciative inquiry as well and just i love what i do i think you know um I love agriculture. I love working for farmers. I always say agriculture culture because it's a culture-based uh, um, sector. And I just, I love food. I love getting out on a farm. I, I love learning from my farmers. And I, I never look back. I um, Everything in this sector is all about new. It's all about old, too. Old ways and new ways. Uh, it's very cultural. Um, when you meet our farmers, you kind of get it. Uh, it's hard to understand. And... Um, unless you've been on a farm, maybe, or meet some of our farmers, and you kind of go, wow, okay, I, I see that there's potential here. I, I get it. So I take my job very seriously. And I think it's at the heart of sustainability, um, really working with farmers. And I know, Raj, we talked a lot about uh, sustainability. I will say this, um, I think what I learned from my farmers is that everyone's working on sustainability, but really, it takes stewardship. And stewardship, is the values and the commitment to want to leave this land better for the next generation and sustainability well that's making the business model line up that's putting the economics getting it to line up for the community and the planet that's a tough business model um, it's making the able the sustainable business model right but so i always talk about it as stewardship and sustainability and i learned that from my farmers um that it starts with stewardship first and so you know for Any leader that's out there, it's, you know, how do I take purpose-driven business models? How do I build those purpose-driven models? And how do I put that into the business?
0: I love the idea of sustainability and able business models. You know, you've been with the U.S. farmers and ranches in action for, I think, four years now, but we didn't touch on what the organization actually does. Can you share what the organization actually does?
1: Yeah, I would say what business we were in, we were just talking about that as a board. We are in the business of leadership uh in action um so it's it's a nonprofit. um basically uh our farmer led our board is made up of farmers they're elected farmer leaders from other farmers and then we invite other um, parts of the value chain to work with us we have a whole science council that works on how do we work on the business of climate change and new innovations um, related to sustainability for our farmers and um, we've been the secretariat really for this decade of back. Um, so as part of that, it's really working with leaders on change management, on stepping up, on understanding that sustainability is a business pathway for the sector. And then underneath that, it's not enough to have a vision. You have to have uh, ways to achieve that vision. And we've been working quite a bit on the economics of sustainability. So um, as you can imagine, the farming sector has gone through some tough times. Uh, farmers make 14 cents of every dollar um, that's sold to the consumer. Uh, they're increasingly facing extreme and episodic events. And at the same time, there's this amazing investor uh, that is really looking at, you know, how can I make long-term investments in grain? And we think that maybe the the food and ag sector is the place uh, for transformative investment to enable the the sector or the US economy to be net zero. So, we're raising awareness under the uh, Decade of Ag. We have a whole effort called Transformative Investment, which is really um, trying to get new forms of capital into the sector from the ESG investment space. And then the other um, effort is called Ag Mission. So, similar to um, the healthcare sector, when they said, hey, let's go end cancer they stood up a, it sounds crazy to even say, right? But they stood up an organization called the Human Genome Project. And it was really about digitizing and unleashing the power of science. Um, So similar, we are uh, on a mission to figure out how to cycle and store carbon and and help our farmers adapt to climate change. Uh, So we have stood up an organization called AgMission, which is all about um, helping the science and the data structure um, to enable climate action an adaptation by 2030.
0: It doesn't sound crazy at all. In doing research for the show, I was watching one of your interviews and I think there was another lady on the panel with you for COP26. And I took this note down, 20, or maybe you said it, 20,000 soil types in the US. Is that correct? Yes.
1: So think about the biological complexity, right? You know, And then you have different uh, water zones, um, which are kind of like a zip code. Um, they call it a hydrologic unit code. <laughs> There's just an incredible complexity. And that's why we always speak to climate-smart agriculture, Raj, because each farm, even down to the sub-acre, is so unique that we really need to focus on the outcome. So the amount of data in science is just really, its a, it'll be a biological phenomenon, you know, that we need to unleash um, the amount of science.
0: Well, I think it's, I mean, you mentioned, you know, moonshot comparable, but I think it's even more important than the moonshot because after all, we live here, not there.
1: Yes, <laughs> i I couldn't agree more um we have so much potential i always say just sitting right under our feet our feet and we have some amazing people that want to go do this like right i mean we're we're, we have our farmers care about it too so you know that's a win-win right when you have people-based movements plus you know the potential that's exactly what you want on sustainability
0: now perhaps a political hot point but recently i interviewed a gentleman roger sorkin i'll be publishing his interview soon he created a documentary called Farm, Free or Die, and he's trying to bring to light the issue of renewable agriculture, regenerative agriculture, I apologize, regenerative agriculture and how to add it to the next farm bill, which I think is due out in 2023. Now, historically, my understanding is farmers have led or leaned perhaps more conservative. This administration, last administration, how have you seen farmers perhaps change attitudes from a political standpoint regarding administrations and climate change? I know it's complicated, but just curious.
1: So we don't do policy and for a really good reason uh, because there's so <laughs> ma- there's, there's so many groups that do and in particular as you mentioned the farm bill, you know there's over like 1,200 different groups that just focus on you know food, farming and policy. And well and we have some of those folks that are members too. What we're focused on are what are the innovation, and what are the business models um, for 2030? So really kind of thinking about the science, the technology and the innovation that's really required. That And we think that that's far beyond uh, what will be in policy. I can't really speak to the policy, except for I will say this, through our work, we have really changed the awareness and perception of that agriculture can be a potential, that we're helping farmers understand their own agency in this conversation on climate change, that they, they can be a solution and that they have an opportunity to be at the table. Um, they have the best ideas typically on their farm, so how do we work with them to enable that to, to be potential? And I think to your point, this idea of regenerative agriculture, um, we, we, will, we actually talk about it in terms of, I've given you another word Raj, you know, stewardship and sustainability, restore and regenerate because restore is the human act. So that's our farmers and then regenerate is what nature does. And all of that equates to climate smart agriculture, really working on those outcomes. So, um, we've, I, it sounds like it's a great, I would love to hear more about it. Uh, I'm going to tune into your podcast, um, on this, but it's, this is beyond policy, I, w- I would say. It's really, we need to work on the business models. We need to work on the science, the technology, and farmer-centered business models that go far beyond policy. Um, so that's really where, where, where we focus.
0: Now, you mentioned science, innovation, and technology. Are there one or two technologies that have really piqued your interest
1: well, there's old ways and new ways. I think you'll see many of our farmers are innovating and doesn't always work on every farm. So that's the other thing people need to understand. But cover cropping, for example, we're seeing many of our farmers do a lot uh, of innovations there. And it it depends on the season, too, you know, when they can get in and out of the field. Uh, I, obviously, I'm a big fan of manure. I could talk about manure all day. Uh, <laughs> I do think that there, there's just so many opportunities related to creating renewable energy almost as a if you think about wind and solar are variable energy, but manure is, you know, 24 seven. So it acts as a almost battery um, that complements renewable energy. And then um, you get so many different benefits related to natural fertilizer on the farm. And then I would say my other one is we're seeing so much on drone technology um, and AI. Many of our farmers are down to the sub acreage and really getting hyper precise on some of the techniques there. So there's just a lot of um, unbelievable technology that's happening on our farms right now. And I I can, I can see that continuing to grow.
0: I think I heard you say once soil is the untapped frontier.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Last year, um, the Nobel laureate, um, uh, not Nobel, um, sorry, World Food Prize laureate, Ratan Lal. Is just someone to watch. Um, he is a soil expert, and there's just so much potential uh, in our soils. And it is—it is a frontier. It really is. And now, in, bi- in biotech too, all the biotech.
0: Now, magic wand question: If you had a magic wand, and you could say perhaps find a way, let's say the education system to connect the education system back to farming, so our next generations could be more engaged learn more about, you know, where their food comes from, the importance of farming. What are perhaps one or two ideas that you'd have in order in order to be able to institute that?
1: Well, I will tell you, this is something um, every farmer you talk to is so passionate about uh, because they feel that the as the American public moved away from the farms and got more urbanized, that they maybe got disconnected from their agrarian roots. And um, they really want... consumer to kind of connect, especially kids. So I would say our farmers would say, get involved in 4-H, get involved in FFA, work on that school garden. Um, I know many of our farm groups really work locally with schools um, to get out and to get onto a farm. So if there's people, I can probably connect you to resource if that's something that's of interest. But even if when you grow something, you think about all the efforts in STEM. When you grow a plant, there's just so much math, science, biology. Um, Agriculture is so key uh, to everything that we do in our economy um, that it might have been overlooked. So I would say start with 4-H, start with FFA. Many of your farm groups, local farm groups, um, can always connect a student and a teacher with resources. Um, This is a personal passion of almost every farmer I know, so they'd be willing to help.
0: So, I've heard of FFA, Future Farmers of America, but you'd have to, you have to excuse the ignorance of an immigrant. What is 4-H?
1: 4-H is a youth about agriculture. And um, many of the 4-H students, it's like a f- green four-leaf clover. They learn how to speak and they learn how to take care of animals. Um, actually, the fastest growing chapters of 4-H are in urban environments, believe it or not. So um, it's kind of like a Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, but really about agriculture and food.
0: You know, I think this whole idea about farming and agriculture is, is fascinating. I mentioned, I think we were talking offline, I have three kids and um, my middle one's really interested in just she has un- unbridled curiosity. And every so often we'll be eating, you know, a fruit or something and she'll say, can we plant the seed? And we've had so many different seeds plant- growing around the house. You know, sometimes we label them, sometimes we don't, but oh just to allow them to see, what that one seed can do, and you know what essentially the yield can be from one seed.
1: She sounds like she's going to be perfect for 4-H. I'm going to connect you after this Raj, with Jennifer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Now, you know, we mentioned you've been in this journey 15, 17 years. What are some of the most valuable lessons you'd say you've learned about yourself?
1: Oh my gosh, um, I would say um, there's always a way to build the business case. And um, really, the next question I always ask is really making certain that you bring the right people in the room. There's so many groups that have one size fits all. Um, I'm really big about creating the um, space for the collaboration. So I always think of like who, who could help, <laughs> I guess. Um, and I like to think about strength-based, um, so somebody out there can help with this. And uh, really kind of thinking of the wisdom of the tribe, so to speak which is really what the Decade Act is all about. And just to stay the course. Um, This isn't easy uh, work. If you work in this space of sustainability, um, there'll be good days and bad days, of course. Um, People saying it's not possible or they really actually challenge you to make a better business case um, and to come up with a better solution. So stay the course, stay the course, stay positive and stay the course. This is a a long-term effort. And you just got to stay the course. And I, I hope by um, 2030 and 2050, you know, I'm, I'm I'm, in it to win it. You know, I, I know what my, I've been put on this earth to do. Well,
0: we've mentioned 2030 a few times, and I have to apologize. I don't know any farming magazine. So if, let's say, Fast Company, Fortune, Forbes, or pick a publication that you admire, were to write a headline or an article about farmers and ranchers in action, what would you like the headline to read? On tw- in
1: 2030? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, U.S. farmers and ranchers in action um, solved the trajectory for a net zero economy. By that point, this is what's so cool about carbon cycling, <laughs> if I'm a geeky now, when we actually carbon cycle now, um, we actually pay it forward for 2040 and 2050. So investing now in our farmers has huge implications for 2040, 2050. So I would like to be up there in 2030 and saying the ag sector is what's enabling the U.S. economy to have a net zero impact.
0: You know, what you said reminds me of that quote, I'm going to paraphrase it, but something along the lines of, you know, if you're sitting under the shade of a tree today, it's because someone planted it 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, that's an agricultural quote, right?
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you already, you know, when you were sharing your lessons learned, you shared some advice. But if you could, and this could be professional or personal, but if you could share some advice, words of wisdom or recommendations with the audience, what would it be?
1: I guess, you know, um, I think the business models of the future are about sustainability. Maybe it seems like a buzzword, but I go back to students. I went to Notre Dame and um, I was probably not a, the best of students. So they had at the time had ethics, was, was rolling out in business. And so they created it as a bonus question. And I spent all my time on that bonus question, you know, cause I was like, oh, I just need bonus bonus points. But you know what? That is the business question. Um, and I think for all of us as business leaders, there are, you know, our business models, but we have to figure out a way to build the business models of the future. And so if you're a finance person, you better put your finance thinking cap on cause we need your strengths. If you're a marketer, we need better storytellers um the new business models of the future are about sustainability so what are you doing as a leader in action to use your strengths and to help figure this out and it's not a bonus question
0: i love the idea of not being a bonus question but i have to double click on this question around ethics what what drew you to that question what is it about ethics that um, that you like
1: well you know in college i guess i remember uh, being a graduate And, you know, that was after the, um, all the crises, during the crisis uh, you know, if you remember on Exelon and all that good stuff. And I remember when, how could that happen, you know? Um, and, of course, we remember studying about whistleblowers and all that. So then they created, businesses created 1-800 lines and ethics lines, you know. it's At some point, you, you have to kind of get in there and go, like, what's the business person that you are, you know? And um, I think that that's something that we're all – wrestling with, right? And um, the business models of the future ethics is, is part of that, right? It's
0: it's putting your values to work. Well, Aaron, I think putting your values to work is a great place to leave off. I really appreciate the conversation with you. Again, I think I mentioned to you before we started rolling, I'll say it out loud. I'm a big fan of the work you're doing and I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Well, thank you so much for having us on. Really appreciate it. And I'm a fan of your work too, and this will not be one and done. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu@nexuspmg.com, at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.